The epistle reading is from Galatians chapter 3. But before this faith came, we were held in custody under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. So the law was our chaperone until Christ, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a chaperone. In fact, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Indeed, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is not Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one and the same in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants and heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The relationship that we human beings have with God is of the greatest possible concern. Even though how we stand with God is so important, it seems that our fallen and sinful nature makes us very sleepy about this standing. There's nothing more common and natural than for people not to think about God or to think about how God is regarding them. All manner of different things capture and hold our attention instead. It's not hard for hours, days, maybe even weeks or months to go by without giving a thought to God, his commandments, or his promises. Instead, our minds and souls might be focused on all manner of different things, and they may be high and prestigious and important things, or maybe they're dumb things. The net result is the same, though. These things keep us occupied and distracted. To wake us up from our almost dreamlike state... God speaks to us. We are creatures who are not like cattle or any other dumb animal. We're not meant to just go to the trough and eat and sleep and breed and rinse and repeat until we're slaughtered. We are human beings who have been made in the image of God. Being made in the image of God means that we have the ability to know God, to fear him, love him, trust in him. We're able to hear his word. We can pray, praise, and give him thanks. In fact, we're responsible to God, who has created us. Because we are capable of believing and worshiping not just the true God, but other things that are not God, the first of the Ten Commandments says, you shall have no other gods. That means that we should only worship the Lord as God. We shouldn't be using our food or our drink or our recreation as our gods, nor should we have our own personal ambitions as our God, as the thing that we're constantly thinking about and wanting to further, nor even should we have what appears to be much less selfish things as our ultimate ambitions in life, things like 
world peace or ending hungry, hunger, what have you, not even those. The commandment, you shall have no other gods, is the same as what is said elsewhere. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And this is because, as God also says when he gives that first commandment, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, it's understandable for a person to react to just this first commandment from God by saying, I don't want a God like that. I don't want a jealous God. I don't want to love the Lord my God with all my heart and with soul and mind. I just want God to leave me alone so that I can pursue my own things. This is, in fact, perfectly reasonable. We're all born that way. Born of flesh, descendants of Adam and Eve, we are born selfish and covetous. Maybe if God can just be my sidekick, my good luck charm, then I'll let him come along so long as he behaves himself. But we want to do what we want to do. To have anyone thwart our will is very unpleasant. We don't want to be told no. And so when God tells us no, we resent that terribly. It's like when parents or other authorities told you you couldn't do something you wanted to do. We all know what that did to us. Rage and wrath well up within us. This is what Paul talks about in our epistle reading when he says that before faith came, we were held in custody under the law. The law was our chaperone, our eagle-eyed inspector, until Christ. The law makes us rage and fume. That raging and fuming might sound something like this. How can God command us to love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind? Doesn't that idiot God know that that's impossible? He must be a pretty bad lawgiver if he gives out laws that we can never keep. If I were God, I would come up with a lot better laws than his laws. But most people never even get to the point where they take any of God's commandments seriously enough to have such thoughts. Most people, including most of those who self-identify as Christians, sleepwalk through life, and they like it. They're perfectly happy to remain ignorant of God's commands, and in their ignorance, they figure that God is probably on their side. After all, God is love, right? And God probably thinks pretty much along the same lines that they think. They haven't done stuff that's too outside the norm that everybody else is doing, so they're probably all right. Now, this is their made-up religion. They might not realize what they're doing, but it's their made-up religion. And it's made up in purposeful ignorance of what God actually says. 
And since this religion is just the foolish thoughts and hopes of sinful humans, this religion is very shallow. A religion just what you think? But it does have one saving grace, and that is that it is extremely convenient. With your made-up religion, you don't have to be troubled a day in your life. You're your own lawgiver and your own judge. Everything that you do is understandable and justifiable. You're not bad. If anything, you're the victim. God's law, with him as the lawgiver, instead of you, God's law, in contrast, is always and relentlessly saying that you're actually you're not okay. If, of course, you actually kept God's law, that would be a different matter. Then that same law would testify about you that you are good, but you haven't kept God's law. You haven't kept the first commandment to say nothing about the rest. So you're not good and fine. And this is like being imprisoned. It's like being handcuffed and put into confinement against your will. You don't want that. You don't want to be guilty. And one way to get what you want, then, is to ignore the law. And so it is with the murderer, the thief, the cheat, what have you. Before they're caught, they go along on their happy way as though they were in a dream, as though they were just fine. And when the law comes and throws them up against the wall and frisks them and puts handcuffs on them and throws them in prison, they don't like this one bit, even though they're 100% guilty. Oh, how they rage and fume. They hate the policeman. They hate the judge. They hate the prosecuting attorney. If they had their way, they'd like to be free, and they'd like to throw all those who are against them in prison. Let them see how they like it. That's how we all are when it comes to God's law. We want to sleepwalk our way through life with our fake sense of our own respectability and our fake relationship with God, which is always on our terms. And when God's real law shows up, we hate it. We hate God for making that commandment that we can't keep. And we even more so hate the one speaking God's commandment to us thereby making us feel guilty. We want everybody else to ignore God's law just like we've been ignoring God's law. We've been doing fine, you see. And everybody should just leave us alone so that we can live how we want. But, of course, this is all just perverse fantasy. It's like a criminal who wants to get revenge on the proper authorities who are only doing their job. God is not going to cease being God just because you want to ignore him. The inmates are not going to run the asylum. Maybe the asylum, maybe the inmates can believe that they're running the asylum in this life. Maybe they believe that they can get away with their wickedness, but heaven and hell are real. The reason why people go to hell is because that is where they're supposed to go. The law says so. Just the first commandment is more than enough to merit hell. And if you don't like that, that's too bad. I'm not making this up. 
Read it for yourself. Or are you too lazy? You're not too lazy to cash those checks and take those vacations, but maybe your relationship with your creator isn't that important. Contrary to what you might think, becoming a Christian, being converted, remaining a Christian by having to be converted again and again, is not the most peaceful thing ever. What's peaceful is to continue on with your self-made religion, to keep on with your sleepwalking, ignoring God's law, hoping that you'll be blessed nevertheless with that made-up religion. We see this already in Adam and Eve. After they disobeyed God and they started to obey the devil, they weren't exactly happy or at peace. They didn't like what happened to them. They'd lost their countenance. They knew that they were naked. They were ashamed. Their trust in God was shattered. But at least they weren't dead. And that's what God had said was going to happen. And the devil promised them, no, that's not what's going to happen. What they feared was God possibly carrying out that sentence of death. And while they were in that state, before God came to them in the cool of the day, they much preferred to go on with their sleepwalking through life rather than face the living God. They wanted to stay in the bushes. They didn't want to see God. So it is with us, their descendants. We don't want to get caught We don't want to go before the judge. Let's all just pretend that everything is fine. To keep up with this charade, we have to keep God and his law away. If the law shows up, we hate it. Like a criminal hates going to jail. Being a Christian, being converted, being continually converted as a Christian, is not peaceful and serene. It's like getting arrested. It's not until we get arrested, so to speak, that we finally begin to fear God. (gasps) He's stronger than I am. And let me mention just one more thing. God's law is wonderfully stimulating, wakes us up. God has other ways of waking us up too. He can prove to us that he's still God with some rough handling. Instead of God being your good luck charm, your handy-dandy sidekick who's always affirming you, God can be a real monster, so to speak. He can dish out pain and horror. You thought and you planned and you slaved so that you could have your life one way. God makes it so that it's totally another. Again, if you allow yourself to be honest about this, This makes you feel some pretty strong feelings about God. You can, of course, avoid such feelings if you explain stuff away with unluckiness or a whole bunch of coping mechanisms and philosophies that we've invented to dull the pain, and those can work pretty well. But it is better, I would argue, it is better, it is more truthful, to rage and fume at God than to plod along like tranquilized cattle. But to be be awake means that you're in the wrong, 
and God's law is bearing down on you like that chaperone, like a 300-pound cop who cackles that you've gotten caught, you're going to hell. That's how God's law works, as Paul describes it in our reading. It's tremendous. But as horribly as we hate God's holy and good law, let us also note that Paul gives us definitely an alternative. Let us note that Paul places a limit on that law. We think it might be omnipotent. It's all over. How do we escape it? Paul says, before this faith came, the law was like a horrible, hateful, overbearing cop. Or he says, now that this faith has come, we're no longer under that big, fat cop. Now, when Paul says this, it's not just him wishing it away like some self-made religion. He says this because of Jesus Christ. That is how you escape this overbearing, suffocating law that says you're guilty. Paul says in another place, But now a righteousness apart from the law has been revealed. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. There is a righteousness that's been revealed that's apart from the law. Thank God. There is a righteousness available to us that is apart from the law. You've blown it when it comes to the law. I think I see the cop lumbering down the street toward your house. But there is a righteousness that is apart from the law. That means that it's not dependent on the law. That means that it's not dependent on your actions, but on God's actions. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it's the righteousness that is given through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. Yes, you are guilty. You have broken the law. But you do not have to ignore God on that account. Maybe if there were no alternative, it would be better to ignore God. I think that's what the murderer, the thief, and the criminal do. They're, they're happier just ignoring it and ignoring any possible consequences for what they've done. But that's not the only option. There is an option that is not based in deceit and covering up, but an option that's based in the truth. There is a righteousness apart from the law that has been revealed, and that is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is given freely to any and to all who believe in him. Paul speaks this way in our epistle reading. In fact, you are all sons of God through faith. In Christ Jesus, you're sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Indeed, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is not Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, there's quite a bit we could unpack from that statement, but let me zero in on the main thing. You are flatly declared to be sons of God through the one and only Son of God, Jesus Christ. How? How are you sons of God? By keeping the law? No. It is by faith in Christ Jesus. That is your standing before God, this most important thing. How do I stand before God? You are children of God by what has been accomplished in Jesus. Furthermore, are you naked 
and ashamed of your nakedness? Have you done things that are awful and disgusting, things that are even deserving of death? Is that 300-pound cop on you like stink, almost having concluded his investigation? Paul says, be assured of this, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Now, I know that's a strange way of speaking, but here's the point. If you are clothed with Christ, then you are not naked. If Christ covers you all over, then it's in fact that cop who is actually the one who is in the wrong. He has no business investigating you, as far as God's concerned anyway. You're not guilty. You're forgiven. You're righteous. So don't sleepwalk through life like the great herd of humanity who don't give a thought to God because they're afraid to. At least to be truthful, they might give a thought to some made-up God. But you can think about the real God. They're all hoping that God doesn't exist or maybe they won't get caught or maybe there won't be punishment and these are just dreamy delusions. And they're not the only option. You have something that is truer and much more sure and certain who is in Christ, who is crucified for you. That is how justice and mercy came together. And that's given to you as a gift. The peace of God that transcends all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.